Welcome to Here's a Solution, the podcast where talking about work doesn't have to feel like it. Presented by Emily Shandruck Solutions with your host, Emily Shandruck and Chelsea Lockstead. Now, are you ready to get real about the everyday workplace? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Here's a Solution. Emily and I are sitting here in the office. Let's just jump into it. Absolutely. So the fun part about today and the topics that we're going to cover is that they came from you, our wonderful listeners, our social media fans, you know, the the dozens of you that are out there. There's literally dozens of us. (laughs) So Jels, do you want to start with some of the topics that were presented through the socials? Yeah, absolutely. So it actually worked out well. A lot of them were around the same topic of the higher hybrid workplace. So a lot of questions coming from people that are looking to balance a hybrid workplace in their office, but looking for some guidance on how to have a hybrid workspace that works with your specific office culture and office environment. Yeah, and I think the the interesting and potentially challenging piece for a lot of organizations that, you know, maybe want to have a hybrid work model is that, you know, when the pandemic happened, which I think maybe elevated the hybrid work possibility and that it, it, it made it more possible for people because I feel like I'm going to do a lot of P words, potentially pre-pandemic. Because, <laughs> I mean, I know I remember I worked in office environments where it was not encouraged to work from home. Right. And it was very much like, oh, they're working from home today. And like the eye roll and the like, yeah, I hope they enjoy watching their soap operas. Remember when soap operas were a thing? Yeah, um, I do. But it was interesting. And I, I kind of did a little bit of digging online. And there was a couple LinkedIn articles that came up. And one of them was interesting in that it said, coming out of the pandemic, 80% of employees that were given, like, had the opportunity to have a hybrid work model, wanted to keep it. And I think, you know, I think about our situation. You know, if either of us were to wake up and be like, yeah, I just really want to be in my pajamas today. Yeah. It's like, I'm not coming into the office. Cool. Fine. Yeah. We don't have a forward-facing environment where we are expecting foot traffic. We both have cell phones. We don't have, like, an office line that needs to get managed we could do our jobs literally anywhere in the world. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and so I'm glad you brought up. So when you said that 80%, that leads us into one of the comments. Um, But what about that? What about when you're trying to manage the 20% that don't want to be in a hybrid office? And you know what? I get it. Like I am someone that I very much want to separate my work from from home you know so one one comment said that this is an office where there is the hybrid model in place Um, employees do have the option to to work from home or in the office but there's one employee that does not want to work hybrid they only want to be in the office but because of that, this is a workplace that does have an element of foot traffic. There are people coming in, and now that employee that is always in the office is now taking on more responsibilities because when that foot traffic comes in, they're always the employee who's there. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up that conversation that came out of, I believe it was Instagram, because we were able to dig in a little bit and kind of find out a bit more specifics. And so, again, bringing it up here in a 
completely anonymous way because it might pertain to you. So, yeah, like you said, and I believe in this, with this organization, there is, like, a dedicated admin Mm -hmm. who is, you know, their role, they're, they're one of the ones that, like, you don't have a choice. Yeah. You have to be in the office. Yeah. However, this position also receives breaks. Yeah. And a lunch Lunch, break. Yeah. You know, they're allowed to get up and go to the washroom. Um, They would also receive vacation. So what happens when, and we're just going to use like a a typical day. So, you know, nobody's on really on vacation, but you have that, like you said, that one dedicated employee who chooses to be in office. And then you have the admin who, okay, I'm going to take my lunch. So if you were the manager or the overseer of these individuals, your, I'm going to say your easiest resolution to this is, okay, you, a said employee who's choosing to be here every day when they go on lunch, if somebody comes in, it's up to you to manage that foot traffic. And I think in theory, that's a really easy fix. What that does though is it constantly then puts it on the employee that's choosing to be in the office to have that dedicated hour when the admin is gone interrupted exactly yeah and so this is where the conflict lies listener i'm not sure if i explained the situation well so whereas if there was no hybrid work option available the office would rotate responsibility in covering that admin person's lunch yeah whereas if this is hybrid everyone could feasibly be out of the office working at their house and this one person who does not want to work at their house would be responsible every lunch break for the admin in handling foot traffic. And so when I thought about this and sort of what I would recommend to the manager, director, overseer of this group, because the other thing that the hybrid environment has done, which I think is a unintentional byproduct, is it's created in environments like this where you have, from what I understand, salaried employees who don't technically need to be scheduled. Right. You know, you, you as the manager of a bunch of salaried employees, you just expect, okay, you're technically working here, let's say nine to five, but now all of a sudden you're creating schedules, mm-hmm. right? Because that could be an option as far as alleviating this to say, okay, on Mondays and Wednesdays, Betty has to be in the office to help cover Doris's lunch break. Right. And then on Tuesdays and Thursdays, it has to be Todd. Todd has to cover Doris's lunch breaks. And then on Fridays, I'll do it kind of thing. Like, but now you're scheduling people and, and yes, you're still supporting a hybrid work environment, but then what happens when Todd goes, well, actually I need to work from home on Tuesday because I'm also having my refrigerator replaced and I have to be home because Best Buy is coming to drop off Mm -hmm. the refrigerator, which is a perk of the hybrid work model in that you can work from home and still get some home stuff done. Mm -hmm. And I also think that this brings up, you know, a host of other conversations of, okay, but, you know, before this, when would you schedule for your refrigerator to be delivered? Probably on the weekend. But again, it's this model of, but I can do both. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, creating a schedule is an option because the one thing you don't want it to happen is to be constantly following on one Mm -hmm. person. And I mean, as the manager or the overseer, it can't always fall on you either. 
But what do you do when that other employee is like, how come it's always me? Yeah. I think we'd love to hear from any listeners who maybe are living this and maybe they have some creative solutions or some creative ideas. But, but I do think you almost need to, you need to create potentially a bit of a schedule as an option. I think you need to have more conversations with your team about that hybrid doesn't mean 100% at home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't mean 100% in the office, but it doesn't mean 100% at home. Yeah. And it, it has to work for everyone. Yeah. And I think just being open and being more communicative about your expectations. So if your expectations are that everybody is in the office at least two days a week, Yes. And then setting just clear rules and limits and and boundaries with it. So there's nothing that's unknown for the employee. Yeah. And I think, and I believe this harkens back to like maybe one of our first episodes, but like conflict thrives in the gray. Yeah. Right. If, if there are unclear expectations, if, if people are filling in the blanks on their own, they're going to fill in the blanks on their own and it might not meet your needs as the manager, supervisor, etc. So be super clear. Be super clear about what your expectations are. Mm-hmm. You can still have wiggle room within that definition, like I just said. So my expectations are you have to be in person in the office two days a week, but you leave the two days to their discretion. Right. And the great thing about this is there's no like complete roadmap for how a hybrid environment will thrive for one organization versus another, even like offices and like departments within an organization. Right. So if this person tried it out and said, okay, I'm going to just blanket, say two days a week, you guys can pick. Okay. And then say everybody picks Monday, Tuesday, or, you know, Thursday, Friday kind of thing. And all of a sudden you're now left with that. Okay. Well, Wednesdays are constantly, you know, with just that one person. Mm-hmm. But then you're able to have that conversation to say like, okay, well, your day to cover the lunch is Wednesdays. Yeah, exactly. And then I think there's also, so for the person that doesn't want to work from home and okay, so Wednesdays, they are are covering more of the foot traffic. Maybe that means that on Mondays, they have an hour of uninterrupted work. There's a yeah. sign on the door that says no questions. You know, this is kind of that makeup time for that hour on Wednesdays that they might not be getting as much work done because they're answering foot traffic comments or, or whatever, you know. And other options. I mean, I've tried to call various organizations before and their voicemail literally says we don't answer the phone between 12 and 1. Our office is closed for lunch. Yeah. And I think that was something that I was thinking about, too, when I was reading these comments, you know, sometimes people can't get instant answers right? and, and that's OK. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can send an email to me. I don't know. Maybe this is like very Gen Z of me, but I find like send an email and then the person who's answering, they don't feel pressured to give an on the spot response. They might need to go to another source for additional information. You know, it's in writing. The biggest piece of advice I can give to anyone who's starting to work is get everything in writing. When you have a question, get it in writing because the answer might be wrong. Yes. And you might be relaying incorrect information. But if you have a paper trail, you can show that you're not the one responsible for that error. Yeah, so I also, I, I don't see anything wrong with the organization or the office within the organization kind of creating a policy of, you know, our admins on lunch for an hour and 
the office is closed to foot traffic for an hour. I, I don't see, honestly, anything wrong with that. No, I mean, you you communicate it. You put up a sign. You keep it in, like I said, it could be on your voicemail. It could be in your email signature. Mm-hmm. Like, emails will not be responded to between this this hour. I mean, if, if emails are being responded to that quickly. Incredible. Right. I would love to see an office, though. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. So then that kind of leads us into our, our next question. That was about when you're in a situation with hybrid work where you're not quite sure how much work is actually being done at home. So you have an employee that occasionally works from home. It might be on that basis, kind of how it is here, you know, where it's, I woke up this morning with a with a headache. I'm, I'm going to work from home now. And at the end of the day, as the manager, you're not quite sure. Could this have been a sick day? You know, how much work did this person actually get done from home? Yeah, and so I think a lot of that comes back to, I mean, you brought it up earlier, and I think we, we talk about this a lot, is just those communication those communication channels. And, and I, I hate saying, like, do you trust your employees? But I've often said I, I'm not worried about the hours, but is the work getting done? Mm-hmm. And, and again, this pertains a lot to probably, I'm going to say more salaried types of positions versus hourly, because for those types of hourly things, I think back to like friends of mine who are accountants and lawyers and like, you're literally keeping track of down to like the 15 minutes, what you did, who's getting billed for this. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, those jobs were built for that versus maybe more our type of work where we are, you know, maybe doing more planning, maybe like less structured, like this 15 minutes for this person, that 20 minutes for that person. You know, we don't need to be as detailed because we're not billing clients for that type of like by the minute work. But right, like how do you ensure that when you don't see them, that they're doing the work? Mm -hmm. So what I've done in the past when like, so it wasn't necessarily like a hybrid work environment, but I did used to work with a team and for several months of the year, they would be outside of not even the office, but the city that I worked in. Right. They could be, they would be spread out all over the, the province, basically. And it was different in that they had very scheduled days. They had to make appointments. They had, you know, it, it was a very rigorous schedule. Mm-hmm. So, but then it was, you know, how do you kind of keep on top of that? How do you track that? So I think making, if if there are questions around, is this person doing their, what I'm expecting them to do? Because I think it's hard to, you don't want to be micromanaging their day. Right. And saying, you know, like, what did you do from nine to noon today? But, but what about weekly goals? So if they're in a role where they have to talk to X number of people, you know, I think about the world of philanthropy. And I remember when I was first starting out in the world of donor management, the the goal was to touch base with 12 donors a week. Mm-hmm. And then if you didn't touch base, if you only touched base with eight donors, well, then you had 16 the next week. Right. So the numbers didn't go down. The, num- the names just kept getting added. And then if, you know, by the end of the month, you weren't, basically started if you if you had any residual you kind of had to explain that well you know 
did you make your phone calls, but then you scheduled a few lunches? Because a lot of times that face-to-face, that interpersonal relationship building, with, especially with donors um, and people that are supporting causes, is really important. But that can take longer than a phone call. Right. So if it was, okay, we have you, we have, you know, the expectations that you make 50 touch points, but that could be up to 20 phone calls, 20 lunches, you know, 10 emails kind of thing. I don't know if my math added, but I'm sure somebody listening will be like, mm, it didn't. didn't. Cool. But right. So like, could you set goals? Yeah. Can you, and I mean, I know like for you and I, we use things like Asana mm-hmm. to kind of track tasks and put deadlines on them. I've used software like Monday where I can set certain goals and I can put, I can put due dates and expectations in the notes. And then if the deadline comes and goes, it's kind of a question of, okay, well, what prevented that from getting accomplished? Right. Well, and I think like if you find yourself you're in a situation where you don't trust that your employee or your worker is actually working like a lot has failed. Like a lot has gone wrong to get to that point. Yeah, absolutely. And especially, it really makes me think of both situations where people are now going into jobs where from from the beginning of the job, it is hybrid. You know, it's yeah. it's not just a situation of we went virtual because of COVID and now I'm not sure if you're working when you're at home. It's like, I've never met this person before and I've hired you yeah. and you are now working exclusively remotely how do I know because I don't have prior experience with you that you're going to actually work and I think it comes down to trust and I think it also comes down to having a really solid managerial style yeah and I think like you said it's building that trust so you know if it's deadlines are getting missed you know it's it's about having the confidence to kind of loop back with your employee and say, okay, what happened? Yeah. Why? Why did this deadline get missed? You know, why is a client still waiting on this information? You know, why wasn't that email sent? And doing it, that comes from a way of, okay, so I want to make sure that we don't fall behind because if we fall behind, the client will miss deadlines. Chances are they won't hire us again. So it's about making sure that before you get to a missed deadline, you have that dialogue and that communication and that those touch points to be like, where are we with this project? Because I think that's really important that before you get to a point where you don't trust that they're doing the work, mm-hmm. that you know that they're doing the work to start yeah. with, right? Yeah, exactly, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely tricky. Like you said, people are getting hired in hi- fully hybrid models right yep. now. And I don't think you want to get into the, I, th- I remember hearing during the pandemic, there was like, computer software that would literally like track your mouse movements and things like yeah like that's that's crazy big brother business exactly yep it is and I think it's just being realistic about the work environment you know like when you go to your office for eight hours are you sitting down and working straight for eight hours no, you are absolutely checking Facebook at least 20 minutes every so often. Exactly. And that's okay. And you know what? Like, it's probably more productive if instead of ch- checking Facebook, you are switching the laundry, Yeah. you know, or doing the dishes. Like, sure, that's great. Being able to meet the refrigerator repairman. Yeah, exactly. Repair person. Yeah. It's 2023. I know. <laughs> Women fix fridges now. <laughs> 
Yeah, I do think like the hybrid workplace, it, it does present challenges for different personality types. Like I know that I'm a procrastinator, you know, and if I was working from home and if my work day was nine to five, it, it might be a bit more 10 to five, you know? And again, I think it's just having a bit of that flexibility to say that's okay. And the, when you're in trouble is when those kind of habits are, are making it so that things aren't getting done. Yeah, I think like the clear piece that has come through in any articles that I've read, people I've talked to when it comes to successful hybrid environments is that establishing collaboration and connection. Mm -hmm. If you are able to do that, you're going to have a successful hybrid team. So like leaders really must find a way to establish that and and yeah, it could be difficult. Like I'm thinking to a scenario I gave to my students this year that I was teaching. And it was about a firm based in Thunder Bay that was merging with a firm based in Vancouver. And we called it the Ulala La firm. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and it was about A, they were challenged they were challenged with time zone differences. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was living in Vancouver and working with people in Toronto, like we would get into our office, you know, at 8.39 in the morning and our inboxes would be full because Toronto's been working for three hours, right? right? Yep, that is but a huge challenge. But then we get to their inboxes by the end of the day. But how do you navigate that? How do you make sure that you're not getting a call at 5 a.m. from somebody because, oops, they thought it was 8 a.m. and, you know. Yeah. So, and, and one, of the, one of the pieces for this um, scenario that I gave to my students was how could you create collaboration and connection between offices that are, you know, spread across the country, different time zones, different work cultures. And and it was amazing. And it was things that I don't think I would have thought of, good gosh, at least 15 years ago when I was living out West, but it was things like online gaming parties. Yeah. Right. Like do something where you get everybody together and you can do it virtually. You could virtually play laser tag or something. Yeah. Right. Like there's so many different ways that you could create a way to come together and learn about each other. You're building that collaboration. You know, think of other types of events and activities that really create what I feel those memorable moments, right? If you Mm -hmm. can go back and go, okay, Doug was a little bit late getting in that last finance report, but I do know he's moving this week because you know about Doug, right? Yeah. You know, you know about their life outside of the office. Yeah. Well, and I think like your example actually proves your point in that this wasn't just like a a lecture style class where you were telling your students how to create more collaboration within workplaces. You were collaborating with the students about ideas to create collaboration within the office, which led you to find out things that you didn't even know you could have done. Like you, you wouldn't have thought about virtual laser tag. No. You know, <laughs> someone else, Notino Shade Emily, who's maybe in the next generation below <laughs> thought of that, which I think is, is kind of cool. And I, I think it all harkens back to it's on the manager, the supervisor to create this really strong workplace culture where a people are going to want to attend things like that yeah you know yeah like so that you're not like how how are you going to find out that Doug's moving you know like unless Doug tells you yeah you know um and and just the more you get to know people on a human basis I think the easier it's going to be to work with them because that's just how humans work you know 
a big piece of a lot of, I think what we talk about is that lead by example, Mm -hmm. right? You know, you as a leader, whether you're the manager, the supervisor, the, you know, the name partner for Ooh La 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 Firm, right? You set the agenda, you set the tone for the whole team, you know, showing respect for your team, yourself, your, like the individuals, like that, that really goes a long way. And I think that that can segue nicely into sort of, I think one of the last things we maybe will bring up today is around differing personalities. Mm -hmm. And I, one of the questions that was brought up within Instagram was, you know, what's your experience with managing? I think it was quote, big personalities. Yeah. And so the one piece that I find very interesting when, when somebody labels that or talks about, you know, we've got a difficult person in the office. I love to ask, okay, well, what, what makes their personality big? Mm-hmm. What makes them difficult? Is it that they just don't agree with you? <laughs> Is it that they're loud? Is it that they have lots of opinions? And I, I often like, and I actually bring this up again in, my, in the course that I teach around sort of the, the devil's advocate side of that, right? So they're loud. Is it that they are enthusiastic? Mm-hmm. You know, are they difficult? Or do they just really love to think things out? So the other adult human that I live with in my house is kind of showcasing the other side or like what could go wrong or have you thought of this, which can sometimes be very challenging. Mm-hmm. Sometimes feel like why are you always disagreeing, but it's not disagreeing. It's being like, yeah, it would be great if it went that way, but it could go this way. Yeah. And so those types of big personalities and maybe before I jump into more lecture mode, what did this make you think of? It made me think of the fact that often we need people who are very different to balance each other out. Yeah. It makes me think of the movie Parenthood. There's a scene where so Steve Martin's character, Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen are parents. They're a couple and they're parents together. And he's very, very anxious. And she's very, very go with the flow. And he's saying, he's talking about... um their son caught like the winning baseball catch in his baseball game. And it it did a lot for the kid's popularity and he really needed that. And Steve Martin's going, but what if he didn't catch the ball? And Mary Steenburgen's going, but he did. And Steve Martin goes, but what if he didn't? And she goes, what if he did? But he did. And, And Steve Martin goes, but what about next time when he doesn't? And she goes, but this time he did. And I think you, it just is such a good showcase in that you need both sides of that to kind of make like a whole more well-rounded parent. And that's like a parenting example, obviously, but that can really be easily applied to the workplace, you know? So someone who is really opinionated would pair well with someone who... Gets stuck in analysis paralysis. Exactly, yeah. You know, there's so many different things, like someone who is really loud is a good pair for someone who is really reserved or really thoughtful you know so this made me think of again one of the main books that I use and I'll put the link in um in the show notes that I use for my course is the conflict management toolkit and the one of the models that I talk about is called the social style model and so a really cool I, I like the social style model because 
you know, it's if you've ever done something like a personality quiz and not just like the BuzzFeed, what type of pizza am I? But like, you know, uh, Myers-Briggs or something like that. The part that I liked about the social style model versus one of those more tests, I would say they are, is, you know, you sit down with this piece of paper or you're on your computer and you're filling this out. You know, you're, you're filling out a questionnaire to sort of tell you where you fall within the Myers-Briggs. And, and I often think back to, well, what happens if you didn't sleep well the night before? Or mm-hmm. you had a fight with somebody right before you sat down to take this quiz? Or you have to do it at work. You're like, God, but what about all the emails that are piling up, right? Mm-hmm. And so I often say that those types of tests really only capture who you are in that moment. Right. And if you took the test at a different time, would it be different? Right. Like how like when you take a photo of yourself, that's you in one second. Yeah. Whereas if you're looking in the mirror, yeah. that's constant. Yeah. Or if you look back at like a series of photos, right? So the cool thing about the way the social style model was developed is that it's based on observed behavior. So if, and it kind of works like if I'm in an organization and I'm, I'm working with them, I love to sort of observe team meetings. I love to observe, you know, check-ins, staff get-togethers, things where I can say, okay, who's, who's the loud person? Who's the quiet reserved person? Who's making sure that the vegetables are restocked, you know, who made sure that everybody got the invite, right? Like I want to observe and I want to see how they interact. And so it's, it's not a personality program like Myers-Briggs, which is, you know, like we said, founded on valid and proven research, but the power of the social style model really happens when we come to understand ourselves through others' eyes. So I'm going to just kind of talk about the, the types. So in the social style model, there's four types. The first one they call is the driver. And the driver is the more task-oriented and what we call more tell-oriented person. So they're the fast-paced person. They're gonna make the really quick decisions. They're gonna speak quickly. They're gonna walk quickly. They're gonna expect the work done yesterday. Um, you know, if, if they had a motto, it might be, it's better to do something rather than nothing, right? They're gonna be decisive, and they're but they're also gonna be willing to like okay, well, that didn't work, let's do that, right? right? But it's not gonna be the most well thought out plan, right? So they really like to be in control, which can backfire if they're in an environment where people might need a little bit more time to, to think. Um, and, and occasionally this type of person might kind of forget the needs of others. So then you have like the analytic social style type. Um, this person's highly focused. So they set standards from themselves. They're detail oriented. You know, they expect they and expect to deliver quality work. You know, they want to make decisions based on data. You know, the more, the better. This might be the person that, like I said before, gets stuck in that analysis paralysis. They might like research what type of microphone to get forever versus mm-hmm. Googling best podcast microphone, seeing the pink one that pops up and goes to the spike. That's it. (laughs) There's the amicable social style. They're the very warm and friendly person. You know, they're kind of the team players. They're generous with their time. They want to hear from others. This is the type of person, if you get on a Zoom, they're the first person to say, hey, what'd you do this weekend? Right. And they actually want to know. Yeah, they're, they're actually curious. Yeah. Yeah. And then they might, you know, if they're running the meeting, you and if they're running the meeting and they have a driver in their meeting the amical person 
will completely drive the driver crazy because they might go around the Hollywood squares on a Zoom meeting and ask everybody what they did this weekend and like really care and want to take the time because they know it's relationship building. Whereas the driver's like, let's get to the purpose of this meeting. Oh my God, this meeting was supposed to start 15 minutes ago and we're still hearing about how Shelly tried figure skating for the first time. Like, you know, they're full of energy. They talk first, they think later, you know, they're going to pick up the phone rather than send an email. They want to meet you face to face. They are like relationship like just on 10 like sugar sticks right like they just want to go 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 so I would say if any of these stuck out to you as the big personality in your office or stuck out to you as the difficult person or you're like man I am a driver how the heck do I work with an analytical person I've got a couple ideas and things like that, but, you know, I just kind of laid them all out for you, Chelsea. I don't know if anything stuck out for you. Is Well, I think it makes me think that, like, all of these personalities have positives and negatives. Absolutely. You know, and, and you can see while you're just describing the different personalities, you can see how there might be conflict just just based off of how these personalities are but but both personalities are valid. There's nothing wrong with either one. But, yeah, you can see how in that Zoom call that driver would be like, just get to what we're talking about, you know, but also you could see how the amicable one would be like, you need to know these things. These are, we're not just, we're not just like robots working, you know, we're actual people with lives and we should know about each other. And this is how we find out that Doug's moving and why he missed a deadline. Exactly. Right. So we'll take the zoom example. And so if you're an amicable person, amiable person, social style model and you're creating the zoom meeting and you know, you have a driver and you're, and you can pick up that they are getting frustrated because maybe they're turning their camera on and off or they're like getting distracted. The best thing for that kind of thing is set an agenda. Yes. And and put in the agenda. that The first 10 minutes are going to be checking in with people. Mm hmm. Catching up. Give that driver the chance to maybe show up. Like you said, the meeting starts at two. Maybe they'll they'll zoom in at two oh eight. They'll be the last person to give the update. Mm-hmm. You know, but as a driver, maybe you also need to like park your need to have everything. You know, just be business focused and realize that if you don't show up and learn about Doug moving, you won't learn why deadlines are being missed. Mm-hmm. You know, you're missing kind of that people part. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're an expressive person and you're constantly like big ideas, go, go, go. And maybe things are like your ideas are getting turned down. I think you could maybe pull into your analytical side a little bit more or maybe reach out to someone who's more analytical and be like, look, I have this big idea and I'm really excited about it and I really want it to work. Can you help me with the research? Exactly. Okay, so another example could be, you know, are you an expressive person? And that's, you know, around having like the big ideas, um, but how you don't really focus on details, but you're very enthusiastic, you're full of lots of energy. You know, we can understand how it might be frustrating if you're constantly like throwing out these ideas and you're getting turned down. Could it be that you need a little bit more research and details to it? You know, is there an analytical person in your office that you could potentially partner with and say, look, here's my big idea, but I need to put it together. I need to get like the deck put in place. I need to be able to present this with some research, partner with them. Is that a way you can collaborate, build that relationship within the office, you know, and also make that analytical person feel like 
their skill set is being put to good use. To me, the that example of the expressive and the analytical is the perfect example of how important collaboration is and cooperation and fostering a environment of that because in my experience working the expressive person on their own this is a broad statement obviously can be a really frustrating person to work with because I'm pretty detail-oriented and in my experience the expressive person can create a bit of chaos especially if they're the one in the management position oh yeah for sure um because they can all be great ideas but all great ideas need a great plan as well well yeah and and I I never really thought about it from the management side if if the management person's always the big ideas person and maybe like every meeting you're like okay what's gonna get thrown at us now you know So I would say almost if you're in a management position and you're sitting in a meeting and as you're throwing things out, you know, do you see that glazed over look happening? You know, what's the mood like after the meeting? Like, do you have people coming up and being like, yeah, I'm super excited. Like, let's get this started. Or is there more of a resistance? Mm -hmm. Because then I would say maybe looking at it of what's your follow through? Yeah. After you have a big idea, what do you do to set those wheels in motion? Because that's the, that's. That's kind of one of the challenges of, a, of an expressive person is that the, they do lack that that sort of follow through. And so um, if you stuck with us this far, I think this is one of the longer podcasts, but I think, and I mean, I have tons of additional notes and ideas, and I think you and I could talk about all the different types of people that you come across in a work environment. I think there'll be definitely a follow-up episode to this one. Yeah. Maybe where we get more into the personalities. Yeah, and I think like we've showcased there's there's not just one way of looking at office dynamics. You know, you know, when it comes across that question of what do I do with a big personality or what do I do with different types of personalities in my office? That's the problem, I think, with saying, like, what do I do with a big personality? Well, what's your definition of a big personality? Is it a loud person or is it someone that has these big ideas? Is it someone that constantly wants more data? Like, what does that mean to you? I think there's different ways of looking at office dynamics. I think there's different ways of approaching what might work for your office versus another. And like we talked about, there's this social styles model. You know, we know people that do colors. You know, there's people that do, like we talked about, the Myers-Briggs. Like there's so many ways that you can learn about who are the people that you work with, how do they thrive, where are their challenges, and then how do you sort of mesh that all together? So again, like you said, I 100% know that this is going to be you know, part one of many when we talk about this. And and I want to know, like, seeing as this question came from our social media audience, I'm curious, like, did this spark anything for the people that maybe suggested this? Did it bring up anything else for other people? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I know for me, like, as we've been talking about it, it actually brought up some some questions and some ideas. And, and again, we could talk for another hour about this additional training that I'm doing around facilitation by a woman named Elaine Alec, who is on stage two of the training around cultivating safe spaces. And and, and she really talks about the different types of, of, it's it's types of personalities and ways people interact. And and I think that's going to be a great follow-up once I get through this training. As we wrap up this, and as we talked about in our, our last episode around sort of the 
the book club idea that we'll be brewing. It is Elaine Alex book that I have been reading as I prep for this course. I'm sort of rereading it again and it's called Calling My Spirit Back. And I am very, very excited to be working on this next stage of training with her and others that are looking at becoming cultivating safe space facilitators. Very cool. Great. I'm excited to hear more about that. Are you reading anything new? Okay, so I, <laughs> just this weekend, fell down this rabbit hole. This is going to make no sense to explain on a podcast. The only way this will really make sense if you if you just go to our show notes and follow the link that I put in for this. But this weekend, I fell down this rabbit hole of this multimedia internet webpage called SB Nation. Uh, I, I can never like pronounce numbers right. It's 177... 17776. So that's 17,776. So the premise of it is it's it's narrated by three satellites that are in space, that are actual satellites that were put out in the 70s. Okay. And so the concept of it is in the year 2026, human beings stop aging and they stop dying. Oh. For no reason, like, there's no explained reason why. Okay. And civilization has gone on for 15,000 years. And these satellites in those 15,000 years, because they are collecting data, they've gained sentience. And they've started kind of like, they narrate the book. They're in chapters. So they're narrating it. And the concept is humans have gained immortality. And in America, what they do to spend their time is like football has taken on this whole new culture where they play like cross country football and because they don't die people don't die like one woman she throws herself into a tornado to to get that much closer to the end zone which is in like Missouri and they started playing in Washington it's the most bizarre multimedia project I've ever read in my life but it delves into these incredible conversations about like work and productivity like one of the satellites is saying So one of the football teams, one of the games, there's all these games going on across America at any given time. One of the games has been going on for 800 years and one of the teams has fallen off of a cliff. And every time they get back up off the cliff, the other team just pushes them back down. And they've been doing that for 800 (laughs) years. And so the one satellite is talking about, but that's such a waste of time. Like they're not being productive. They're not doing something. And you can see how that gets into like a more relevant conversation for anyone. And, And so then like the other satellite is saying, but they have to like spend their days that are endless. Like there's no such thing as wasting time. Right. Because time doesn't exist anymore yeah and so it just it's the most bizarre like thought-provoking article I've ever seen the person that made it is either a genius or on like a lot of drugs (laughs) but it was really it was a cool way to spend like two hours like going through this like really incredible project um so I'm gonna put the links to the show notes so that's SB Nation 17,776 so that's the year that they're currently in okay that brings up something like, like, do we stop aging? Like, when it, that just happens? So, like, would I stay 42 yeah. forever? Oh. And, like, your kids would stay, like, 10 and 8 forever. Well, and that's perfect because I was just having the conversation with my daughter this morning when I was dropping her off for a science camp that... So her dad the other night was saying that he misses them when they were little and they were, like, you know, squishy little, like, babies and stuff. And I was saying that that stage was great. I love them at every stage, but I find this stage like 
my, my one thing was like, but we can go on roller coasters with them now. Yeah, so true. <laughs> no, that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of said, I, I said to my daughter this morning, I'm like, you know, I think I'm going to miss you at this age more than anything because we can hang out and you still want to hang out with me, but you're developing these amazing friend groups and things like that. Yeah. So I don't know, maybe the satellites could like work on something and I could just keep them at roller coaster age forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and like that was a kind of the cool thing about the, like while you're reading it, I think like my first thought is like, so humanity's at war, like capitalism has taken over. Like it's like a Blade Runner situation. And and the way the the artist, is what I'll call him, did the project is that like that's not the way things went. No, They're all football. just like obsessed with these football. You have to read it. I mean, it's I absolutely will. I absolutely will. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Charles. Yeah. All right. Well, we will talk to everyone soon. Yeah, keep keep uh, sending us your questions and ideas and that on the socials, Chelsea share some other ways and some other thought-provoking things but yeah if there's something that you want to hear or you have a question um please share it with us because that's where uh we turn to when we're like what are we going to talk about yeah because that's like the whole point the whole point of this podcast is to be for is to be a tool yeah for people and so we want to know what people need tools for absolutely awesome great all right we'll talk to you later thanks bye bye Thank you for listening to Here's a Solution, presented by Emily Shandruck Solutions. This podcast is hosted by Emily Shandruck and Chelsea Lockstead. Editing and sound engineering by Nick Donati. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and wherever you love to listen. And if you would like, you can follow us on Facebook at Emily Shandruck Solutions, on Instagram at Solution Boss. And if you have a question or a situation you'd like us to discuss on the show, send us a DM or email us at podcast at emilyshandrucksolutions.com. Shandruck is S-H-A-N-D-R-U-K. For more information, visit emilyshandrucksolutions.com.